Today is Trinity Sunday. It falls on the first day of this new liturgical season that we had the bright idea of calling Ordinary Time, which is a terrible, terrible name. Trinity Sunday always falls on the first Sunday after Pentecost. And Trinity Sunday is often used as an opportunity for preachers like me to explain away the complicated math of the three-in-one God. We use metaphors to try to explain what this is like, and honestly, it often leaves our congregations more confused than when they arrived. On Trinity Sunday, we often read scriptures that contain all three parts of the Godhead working together in such a way that it can help the preacher out. However, sermons on Trinity Sunday run the risk of sounding more like a lecture, more like a dogmatic defense than sounding like the proclamation of God's living word. And for us here, particularly at St. John's, Trinity Sunday, our scripture has taken on another strange, ironic twist. This bit from Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth contains some interesting language for what will be my second to last sermon in this church. Paul says, finally, farewell. Put things in order. Listen to what I told you. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. After serving God in this place for four years, this would be a pretty good scripture to end with. It contains all the things I would want to leave with you, much like Paul wanted to leave with the Corinthians. If you live in peace with one another... The God of love will be with you. But Paul doesn't stop there. He he goes on to implore the church to greet one another with something called a holy kiss. Which sounds like doing a whole lot more than just living in peace with one another. Holy kisses require an intimacy that many of us will find uncomfortable. And to be clear, it doesn't mean that our pews are going to turn into the back seats of cars parked at Makeout Point. Now you know why I divided you up. But it does imply a willingness to know and encounter the stranger as sister and the other as brother. As I said earlier, I spent the better part of last week on the eastern shore of Virginia with 40 other United Methodists from the Stan Waynesboro area for our mission trip. We represented six United Methodist churches, and our youth were tasked with a number of work projects from reorganizing a thrift store to painting the outside of a dining hall to building a house for Habitat for Humanity. On our first night arriving in before the fidget spinner incident, it was clear that the mission trip was going to be like a whole lot of others, and that when we finally arrived and unpacked the vans, the youth broke off into their comfortable cliques from their respective churches. So we did what we always do on mission trips, icebreakers and group questions. And we quickly learned the names of everybody else on the trip and random factoids that gave us glimpses of who they really are and why they were really there. And unlike other mission trips, by the very first morning, that home church group click mentality had faded away. It dissolved and it left new friendships to determine the gatherings of the youth. I don't know to what I can attribute the quick change and adaptation short of the fact that the youth greeted each other that first night with holy kisses in the form of jokes and laughter such that they had a new communion by the very next day. 
And this was made abundantly evident throughout the week in a number of situations, like when we went out in our canoes and kayaks and the pairs out in the boats. None of them had gone to church together before they got out there. Except for Grace and I. Thank you for not tipping me into the water. But it also showed up in some remarkably beautiful ways. And the first one includes Grace. I make a lot of fun of Grace. So I'm sorry for all of that. But I got to tell one more story about you. Because Grace was the only girl from our church on the mission trip. The boys from St. John's, they all love the same things. Video games, Star Wars, and the internet. There are small versions of me. But Grace is not of the same persuasion. And it could have been very easy for Grace to sulk in a corner and remain isolated. She could have retreated to the false sense of community on her phone with friends here back at home. But instead, Grace did something different. She sought out new friends in this new place. And she quickly bonded with this girl from another church. And they discovered rapidly that they shared far more in common than their similar sense of humor and their quick wit. It was because they were willing to ask hard and true and deep and profound questions that they learned that both of their mothers had breast cancer at the exact same time. That both of their mothers were treated in the same facility. That both of their mothers had the same surgery almost on the same day. And so it was their bond over a horrible experience that they shared. It was like a holy kiss that filled them. Filled them with the same type of communion that connects the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as Trinity. There was a boy on our trip from a different church who years ago, when he was four, grabbed a frying pan off of the stove and poured hot oil all over his body. He spent months and months and months in the hospital and 40% of his body was covered in severe burns. I knew him well enough before the trip to know that he is so remarkably self-conscious about what his skin looks like. He's ashamed of it. Such that he is and will always be afraid to get ready for bed in front of other people. And on that first night, after all those games that were designed to get us to know each other, he tentatively lifted off his shirt to get ready for bed, to which one of the boys in our cabin pointed and screamed at him. And I winced. I prepared myself to intervene to try to save and salvage any bit of dignity this boy had left. But then I heard what the other boy had shouted. He said, everybody, look. That's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And our whole cabin jumped out of their bunk beds and ran to the quarter to look at this young boy. And he beamed with pride over the scars on his body. The very thing that had brought him so much shame and ridicule became a beautiful example of how the holy kiss of friendship filled our cabin with the same type of communion that fills the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as Trinity. I don't like making comparisons like this, but our trip to the Eastern Shore was one of the best mission trips I've ever been on. It was one of the best trips I've ever been on because we got to know one another in a faithful and intimate way. We shared holy kisses with one another. Rather than scattered pockets of groups and cliques, we got to know each other. And because we got to know each other, our work was that much better and that much more faithful and fruitful. When we are bold, 
when we are brave enough to scatter in a sanctuary to find someone new, we enter into the same kind of friendship that is shared between the members of the Trinity. There is this bravery and boldness and confidence in Paul's willingness to say goodbye to the church in Corinth. After doing all the work he had done there, he could have held control over what they were doing from afar. He could have micromanaged every little situation, but instead he knew that God's church is far bigger than anything he could ever do. He was able to look out at all those Christians and know that he could say goodbye because they would thrive with or without him. Because the church never belonged to Paul. It was never successful because of Paul. The church thrived because it belonged to God. This Trinity Sunday, we remember our mission trip. We give thanks for our staff. Because our staff has done good and great work here at this place. But their work has been good and great and faithful and fruitful because they are connected to one another. Ask any one of them. They don't see their jobs as jobs. They see what they do here as an extension of who they are as a community. They get here early almost every day, not just to do their work, but to check in on one another. Just like Gary comes to check on me in my office. But even beyond this church and the wonderful people sitting in the pews this morning, God is the one who makes their work work. God has blessed each of them with unique gifts suited for making the kingdom of God come here on earth through their work at this church. God is the one who fills them with grace and love and communion such that their lives can bear fruit. And that is why we have Trinity Sunday. It's not about metaphors and dogmatic dissertations. It's about the friendship between the Godhead, between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is that communion, it is the friendship within the Trinity that is made manifest here in this place every week. It was there with us on the mission trip to the Eastern Shore. It's here every day between our staff members. It rests in these pews on Sunday, and it is surely in the gift of bread and the wine. Friends, we become God's people, a people of holy kisses, when the pews of our sanctuary become avenues of connection and not walls of division. Because we could easily remain isolated in our own comfortable boxes of experience. We could sit with the same people every Sunday, week after week. Or we can do the bold and the challenging work of Trinitarian communion. Like the youth on our mission trip this week, like the staff of this church, we can open our eyes to the fundamental reality of what God is calling our lives to look like. Because it looks like this. We can believe that we are made one in Christ Jesus. We can know that God is the one who works in our lives to make us who we are for the building of the kingdom. And so in the words of St. Paul, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.